All right, you ready to do this, Google? Let's do it. Let's knock it out. Mm. Uh, uh, let's knock it out. Let's, let's, let's knock it out. Let's, let's, let's knock it out. Let's knock it out. Let's. Hey, y'all. Welcome to season four of Living Millennial Podcast. I am Brittany. Hey, y'all. It's Mandisa. <laughs> We're excited to be back. We're excited to be back. We are excited to be back and we're excited for you to be back. And for those who are just finding us, we are excited that you found us. You here. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the club. Welcome to the vibe. This season, several things will be different. You'll be able to not just hear our voices, but you get to see our faces. (laughs) Yes. See all the silly things. (laughs) Literally, like we get to see Mandy finally interpret, dance her the words she's saying. Oh, Y'all shit. can get what we get because we be here for it. We be here for it. Thank you. Yes, y'all get to see my crazy faces. I make, I get in trouble. I make wild. Did you're the reason why we be cracking up? That's real. For <laughs> that is that's very very. Maybe trying to hold it in and just be like. Okay, here's the real. We're over here on the sidelines. <laughs> right. And laughing. We have to tell on ourselves because I'm looking crazy. And you'll get to see that on our new YouTube channel. That's right. We have a brand new YouTube. Find us and subscribe. Uh, find us at Living Millennial Productions. Um, and we know that y'all can listen. We know that y'all can listen mm-hmm. and find us on YouTube at the same time. You better tell them. Okay. Yo. We know these because your smartphones are smart enough to do that. So go ahead, run over to YouTube right now, find us at Living Millennium Productions and hit that subscribe button. We have so much amazing content for you guys coming up that we're excited to share. Yes, indeed. And for those of you who missed season three's finale, we ended the show with an announcement that we have transitioned from three to two hosts. So Jamal brought so much depth and so many gems to all three seasons. And however, uh, we understand that as we transition in life, we discover more details about our purpose. And that leads us to making hard decisions for personal growth. So with that, we are sending so much love and so much support and great vibes, okay? As he continues to step through new doors. However, do expect to hear his voice pop up this season, okay? Because mm. he's not going that far. He ain't going that far. He'll be around. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Continue to celebrate full, three full amazing seasons with us. Catch up on all 36 episodes. We worked hard for that, y'all. We worked hard you know okay so continue to connect with us as well with uh and our dope vibes and i mean we're going to continue to have relevant topics um amazing conversations uh going forward so we're excited for that and also a big thank you a big thank you to everyone who's listening to everyone who sends feedback uh and joins the conversations with us on social media we 
tell y'all all the time, DM us, join the conversation and DM us, give us, tell us what y'all think about the conversation, tell us what, give us y'all's perspectives and you all do just that. Okay. We love so it. We do. We love it. We love reading it. We love sharing it. So let's keep that going. And anybody who's new and joining us, follow us at Living Millennial Productions. Um, that, and that's going to be on Instagram and find us on Facebook at Living Millennial Podcast. And then also find, hit up our website. We got a website, y'all. We got a website, livingmillennialproductions.com. And then send your friend or friends, because we, we assume you all have more than one. <laughs> I want to touch on a few highlights from our wonderful three seasons that we're celebrating. Before we really dive into this fourth, fourth one, let's first go back. And like you said, we, we put in work, okay? And I think it's important to recognize that and speak on favorite moments and some highlights. So first of all, I want to touch on our holiday, our 2020 holiday oh. show, which was alive. <laughs> and let me tell you, I had so much fun. It was so grateful yeah. to safely convene with you and Jamal and to, mm. to send off 2020 and welcome in 2021 with good vibes, um, which I think we have carried through into the year and, and presently. And that was beautiful. And it was so fun. And you know what else was fun? <laughs> you drank it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, yes, but <laughs> our 420, our first 420 episode from season one. Yeah. Shout out to Jessica for Medicated Minds. Yes, yes, yes. That was so fun. And it's it's also so lovely to go back and, and connect episodes as we've gone through the seasons mm-hmm. um and the seasons of our lives and our journeys mm-hmm. and to be able to connect episodes with certain time periods in life mm-hmm. I think is really beautiful and and also to have um gotten to know you and Jamal in this beautiful way and grown closer um through the podcast but just as friends is so so wonderful so I appreciate the both of you. And, and I always say, I don't know if I say it as much to you as I say it to other people, but I'm like, this is Brittany's baby. And (laughs) it's now like a toddler. Um, and it's wonderful to see it grow and blossom. Um, and as you mentioned, we, we have grown from living millennial podcast. We are now living millennial millennial productions. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's only up to go from here. So kudos to us <laughs> kudos to us yes 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 um oh I love I love that I love that from like babies that was a toddler that's cute <laughs> oh, thank you you like it you like <laughs> I it like me. I like it um yeah I I think it is definitely important to to continue to talk about how much work it takes to put on a podcast and mm-hmm. stay consistent um, and stay connected as well. But I will tell you one thing uh, that keeps it going and it's definitely the connections that we have. Um, it's definitely the, the, the joy and the fulfillment that I get out of interacting with you all and like, you know, brainstorming and being creative. Like it's just, it, it really is a vibe. Every interaction is, is always a vibe. So, um, it would not be fun if I wasn't working with you, um, and Jamal before, like if we 
when I'm working with people who we really truly love and enjoyed their time and and, and admired them and um, you know and just I don't know it's just it is a beautiful thing because we started from scratch y'all like from scratch even even I'll be honest let me be fully vulnerable and authentic even Please. now even now I'm just like what how the fuck do you do this like you know and it has its frustrations um but you know what keeps me going and what fuels it is you know the passion that grows but also yes. the connections that I know like you know that I know will come out of you know putting on a production at this point it's a production which is exactly why you know living millennial podcast is under living millennial productions mm-hmm. because mm-hmm all the content that's out there, it genuinely is production. And that's a good reminder um, for myself and also for our audience is like, this is a dead ass. This is a real show. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. Like we just don't, you know, hop on the phone and decide to, okay, let's push record. No, there's, Mm -hmm. there's thought and planning and especially looping in all of our wonderful guests. um, Because Mm. when, when you're dealing with people who are wonderful and have, um, and have lights that they are sharing with the world, you know, everyone wants a little piece of that. And so Mm -hmm. I say that to say that, uh, uh, you know, some of the, some of the best people that you want to talk to and work with their availability is a little wild, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but that's because they too are living in their purpose. And also, we, we talk about this too, also taking time for self and saying no to things when it's appropriate. Um, but, but to, to make these connections and have conversations with such wonderful people from here in Southern California to really, we've talked to people in quite a few States. Um, and, and so it's really nice to weave experiences from folks across the country um, and how we as millennials are interacting with the world and, mm-hmm. and treating and talking to ourselves mm-hmm. and, and how we're, and what we're talking about with our friends and our peers and what's happening in these workspaces that we're yeah. kind of in, maybe not in so much anymore. So there's a lot you know, <laughs> there's a lot um, um, that I think has been unearthed mm-hmm. from from this podcast. And as we move forward, there's there's only, uh, like I said, there, there's only up to go. Um, and I'm excited for all of the conversations that are to come and the people yeah. that we will connect with and hopefully introduce and connect our audience to. Yes, um, and look forward to more of that and even more voices, um, even more Black millennial voices to highlight and to relate to and uh, to learn from. Honestly, that's the one thing I'm always excited to do. That's to learn from our guests, to learn from you, to learn from our, our audience, um, you know, and all the different perspectives that are out there that we don't really always hear on the radio um, or even on other in the news, you know, like what's the reality of what's trending or the reality of certain situations. So definitely look forward to those powerful conversations. Uh, We don't want to take that away from you all whatsoever. We want to keep it going, want to keep it growing. And we're just, we're excited to kick off this, this fourth season. Yes, indeed. So 
without further ado, let's start this fourth season off with a powerful conversation with some very, very powerful Black millennial beans. Um, we're going to talk about allyship and Black folks connected to allyship and how we can be better allies, uh, how we can ask for better allies, and sometimes even demand, <laughs> sometimes even demand better allies. But um, so I'm excited to have this conversation to introduce you guys to some amazing, amazing voices. Hey, y'all, welcome back to season four of Living Millennial Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany. And I'm Mandisa. And today's topic is all about allyship. We're asking the question, are Black people good allies? Are you, 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 me, you, you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what allies do we need and how can we be better, better allies to identities or the different identities within our communities? To help us answer these questions and have a thorough dialogue, we have some special guests with us today. First up, we have Adrian Scott here with us. Adrian, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and diving in with us. Can you please share with our audience who you are and in a nutshell, what it is that you do? Yeah, thank you so much, Brittany and Mandisa. My name is Adrian Scott. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, simply Adrian. Um, I like to call myself a radical activist here in San Diego. I'm originally from the DMV area whoop whoop DC, um, bam all the way. But um, here in San Diego, I am a youth advocate, a disability advocate, a homeless youth advocate, um, pretty much an advocate for the most marginalized uh, centering black and brown experiences. Um, I am the director of a radical wellness center called the Brown Building where we operate, we have a lot of uh, different organizations um, with the same radical wellness, transformative justice mindset. Um, so right now we have uh, food distribution. Um, I run my org out of there, the Transistence Network, where we cater to trans queer youth of the BIPOC experience, uh, where if it comes down to just getting them resources, advocacy, um, gender affirming care, uh, someone to just hang out with, talk to, share some experiences, um, connect with, network, then that is pretty much what I do. I'm also a recovering addict. So a lot of the things that I do uh, is with the recovery mindset that uh, we'll love you until you can love yourself. So that's who I am. That's amazing. That yeah. is profound and important work that you're doing. So Beautiful thank work. you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing. Um, Erica Morer is also on with us today. Erica, can you share who you are and also in a nutshell what it is that you do? Thank you both for having me back again. I like vibing with y'all and the deep conversations we get to have. Um, my pronouns are she, her. And I work at a university in a nutshell. Um, I take all reports of equity, harassment, discrimination, and all reports of sexual misconduct, harassment, discrimination, gender, um, stalking, everything that falls under what we call Title IX and Title VII uh, for 
at a university purposes. The best way I can explain my work in a nutshell is by a philosophy that I try to hold myself to. And that is, I believe you deserve to be treated with respect on the best and worst days of your life. Um, it is my job at the institution to make sure that you understand what your rights are, that you understand the processes and procedures, um, and that I uphold them at all costs for all sides. So both sides, I'm not, I am not an advocate. Um, I'm a multi-partied um, person that works for the institution. This is a complicated position um, to ensure that you understand how to navigate the university's policies and procedures in response to an incident that you reported to the institution. Um, I'm a firm believer in restorative justice. I'm building that program out on our campus and providing those options for alternative resolution matters. Um, in my spare time, I like to vibe with music and poetry. I'm a huge nerd. Um, I like to read a lot. And I'm dibbling and dabbling into um, being a life coach. So just a little bit holistically about me. And I like what you shared, Adrian. So I'm from Michigan, Detroit area. What's up, everybody? I'm out here living in the Redlands, the whole vibe. But thanks for having me. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course, shouts out, special shouts out <laughs> to a, a fellow Michigander. I'm from Saginaw, just up the road. <laughs> Um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, Erica, and for sharing all that you do and all the avenues through which you do it. Um, again, powerful work. And, and last but not least of our special guests, we have Karima with us. Karima, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Well, first and foremost, I'm also a fellow Michigander. I'm from Flint, Michigan. And so it's good to always meet other people from Michigan out west. Just I really crave those Midwest vibes. And I never thought I'd actually say that, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's home when I meet other Michiganders. So yeah, um, my name is Karima. And um, I, most of my, my life and my work has been in my field of engineering, um, mechanical engineering. And I've worked in various fields, construction, environmental services, um, as well as uh, consulting. Um, but I'm transitioning now to my business, um, which is called Yoga Yourself. I am a certified um, yoga instructor and I teach yoga and meditation and the, the skill set of using yoga asana and meditation um, as, a, as a tool on hand for managing um, your mental health um, as well as your, your conscious development or your spiritual development. And um, I hope to be doing that full time uh, much sooner than later. Um, I, apart from that, um, I've, I've spent time in the arts as a performance poet. I did spoken word poetry and I've, I've taken quite a bit of, break, of a break from that, but um, I'm always writing, I'm always using my voice. Um, I'm always sharing with people closest to me how I see the world and things like that. So um, I'm conscious. Um, but I'm also looking for how to apply that consciousness to um, activism and allyship. So I consider myself is more of a learner on that end. So I'm glad to be here and learn from you all. Yo, let me first say, <laughs> never in a million years did I think that I would be co-hosting a podcast and have three people from Michigan <laughs> on there, self-included. 
that just makes me so happy. But but a huge, huge warm welcome to all of you. Um, um, and I so appreciate all of the avenues and perspectives and lenses that are gathered here today. So I'm excited for what's going to be a dope conversation. So let's get into it. Let's, let's, let's get into it, y'all. So yes, thank y'all so much for being here. Let's point out that we are all transplants, by the way. We're all in Southern California. <laughs> we all shouting out our hometown as not here. Um, <laughs> but that's another episode. <laughs> another episode about transplants. But um, so again, today's conversation is about allyship. So we want to start with a definition. We want to make sure we all kind of have a good understanding of what um, allyship is, um, at least on paper. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> um, so we grabbed this definition um, from the director of the diversity programs at Mayo Clinic, um, Nicole Asung. I'm gonna. I'm trying not to butcher the hyphenated name, but the last of the hyphenation is Hara. I'll do better, y'all. Forgive us, audience. Forgive us, Nicole. But I love what you brought to us for this. Uh, what definition you brought to us? So forgive me. We still love you. So <laughs> Nicole defines the act of al allyship as when a person of privilege works in solidarity and partnership with a marginalized group of people to help break down the systems that challenge the group's basic rights. So equal access um, and their ability to thrive in our society. Um, I love this definition because it's not giving us exactly who the folks of privilege are um, and exactly what the marginalized group um, of folks are either because even as black folks we can still be in positions of privilege at times right um, so I love this um, definition I, I did I did my research draw I searched through quite a bit but this one hit um, hit the nail on the head hit the hammer on the head hit the nail on the head I never the get nail. it which one the nail on the, the head yeah, hit the nail and the hammer did the hitting on the nail on its head. This one, this hammer <laughs> hit the nail on the head. This hammer, this definition, which is a hammer. <laughs> All right, let me stop. Y'all know I have to bring some fun to this stuff, y'all. So um, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you hit the like nail you, on the head. You hit the nail where you should have hit it on the head. On the head. Okay. So the hammer, we just ain't going to mention the hammer because we know that the hammer is hitting it. That part. It could be, ah, you could okay. have a mallet, to be fair. Oh, not queen. Not queen. Not queen. It not. drove it in. Okay. <laughs> it, it did its job. It hit the nail on the head. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Um, okay. So our the first question I want to present to the three of you, um, and Erica, I'll have you go first, actually. What marginalized groups do you see um, that really needs allies, especially in your field, right? Who really needs allies? Everybody, I don't know that I would say like somebody needs it more. I think that some people get forgotten, um, but I, I would honestly say that everybody needs it. Um, in my work, both parties, so whoever was harmed definitely needs support and allyship. Um, and whoever's accused, need support and that's a, a part of sometimes of the conversation at least in my world that is harder 
um, to have that conversation harder um, to come to terms with is not for everybody. And I don't, and I'm definitely not advocating that. Um, but the question was who? And I, I really do firmly believe in everybody because I believe in restorative justice, transformative justice, and the ability to live in community together and giving people the opportunity to be back a part of that community. And if we're going to get there, then how do we create spaces that allow for that? The, if, if it's us versus you and there's no one and it, how will I ever feel like I can come back into that space? So um, I really believe the answer is everybody. I like that answer. I do. And I love that you brought up restorative justice because that's exactly what restorative justice does. It's like it considers all parties and how can we do better for everyone involved because a lot of times the accuser also has trauma, right? Or the, acu the accused, sorry, may also have some sort of trauma past or present. Um, so thank you for making that, making that connection. Uh, Dee, did you, were you going to add to that or say something? Yeah, kind of on the same tip that, that you were just speaking on the, y'all know I'm a, a pen and some paper is never too far for me <laughs> when we're, when we're running it. But, um, the, the, I, I wrote down wholeness and humanity and, and how, um, you mentioning that the, the accused needs support too. And it makes me think of uh, a purpose of jail that we don't see, which is that it's supposed to restore and heal and bring people back to a level of humanity, right? Air quotes, <laughs> hard on the supposed to, but it oftentimes, most times does not, um, or people seek their individual paths back to um a restored version of themselves or, or wholeness or a level of humanity within themselves at least. But I, I love that you mentioned that. I don't think that comes to the forefront of a lot of people's brains when they see accused, accuser. Um, so yeah, thank you for that thoughtful gym. <laughs> uh, Adrian, what, who, do you, who do you see needs or uh, wants allies? the most right now? Actually, not even the most, but just in general, who do you see? Well, <clears throat> definitely in my world, I, I like what Erica said, the, the, the accused or the ones that are looked at as uh, dispensable. And often that is the black boy, the black girl, the, you know, um, young brown, brown kid that's had a life of trauma has been in, in and out of foster care or on and off the streets. I work with a lot of homeless youth. So they are the ones that are the most impressionable. Um, and they're the ones that um, are easily um, triggered in a way that, that often that um, people's mental illness, especially children's, especially black children's are just so overlooked and uh, discarded. Um, and I'm not saying that they are the the ones in the most need or that no one else, it's not a, you know, like Erica said, it's not one or the other, but um, I can speak on who I mostly encounter. Um, you know, and even speaking for myself as a as a child, it's so easy that, 
you know, we see in the media how they age us, how, um, you know, little black girls aren't allowed to be little black girls and little boy, little black boys are definitely not allowed to feel. And that just grows up or that that continues on into their adult lives where we have a, uh, generations full of men un, unable to process and unable to heal and just thrown in, in and out of a system. The, the streets, shelters, foster care, prison, um, um, institutions, addiction, um, some kind of system in which it doesn't allow for us to thrive. So um, I think, you know, that's one of the biggest areas that we really need to focus on is restoring our wellness through whatever means necessary to really get us you know, we, we oftentimes we talk about reparations, but we also don't talk about the re restoration to our spiritual selves, to our, our emotional selves. Um, and so, you know, just thinking of my own um, coming up uh, homeless and uh, addicted and not being able to find the services that I need as a, uh, a poor, um, as a poor little black um, at the time identified as a black woman, um, you know, who also did street services or shall, shall I say, um, to get by, um, you know, yeah, on one hand we have to, um, you know, the, the empowerment that is needed for us to be able to do what we have to do, but also we don't think about those moments of, well, how did we get there? How did she get there? How did that person get there to that point where they needed to survive off of these certain tactic, tactics? So, you know, we can, we can put these folks that are marginalized into homes, but we don't give them the education or the comfort or the uh, consolation that they, they possibly need to become whole. And, um, it took a lot of time for me myself to advocate, learn how to advocate for myself just to get the care that I needed. But I know how long it took for me to do those things um, and how much I had to really maneuver that the average person or even someone older than myself or even someone maybe that doesn't have as, as much access and even even with the situ in the situation that I was in where I had absolutely nothing, I still knew that I had, I had certain privileges over some other folks. And, um, but that is the reason why I feel like since I've gone through this process that it's, it's absolutely important that we take care of the emotional self um, within the black community, within the brown community, um, and, and, and so I'm not gonna really say that it's necessarily one system over the other uh, or one race or ethnicity or one um, grouping, but the community, the black community as a whole, I feel like really would benefit from reparations, emotional reparations that I don't think that uh, the white community is really white society, white supremacist society um, is really ready to take on and talk about. 
That's real. And ultimately what I hear you saying, Adrian, is um, like wraparound services, which is which is a common uh, term we use in San Diego in our activist uh, spaces is like just ensuring that folks are getting care um, holistically, right? Just like whatever, in every way that we can, uh, ensuring that we we're able to aid our community and aid one another um, in whatever is needed. There's nothing missing, um, you know, just to ensure consistency and stability. So I love that, um, that you were giving examples of that. Um, and Kareem, I definitely wanna hear um, from you of who do you see um, that, that needs or wants uh, allies right now? Um, I had kind of like two answers to that. I mean, the, the first, the quickest answer I have is, it's kind of hard to say because I think power is in a constant state of flux and it depends on what the, the social political climate is looking like at the moment where it shines light on people who don't have power, um, or who hasn't been as vocal before, but maybe a set of circumstances has brought them to the forefront, such as you know, hashtag stop Asian hate, um, where there's these conversations um, that are coming up about the, the sexualization of Asian women. And um, I can remember a time where that was kind of like a standing uh, joke, not that it was funny, but it was just something that kind of came up, but it almost was kind of like um, stated as like, a, like in terms of flattery, like, you know, um, well, they, they should feel you know, privileged for being so sought after, you know, but like now, now it's not funny, you know, and it's not cute either right now, you know, um, but, you know, you know, a, a year ago, um, that wasn't the conversation, you know, so I think things are constantly shifting. Um, the second answer I had was if, I guess if I had to choose from my standpoint, from my lens, I would think it's the group that seems to be uh, the, the least understood at this time. And I think that's the trans community. I think that's harder for people to kind of get their minds around um, versus like, you know, being queer or being gay or bisexual or even questioning. I think um, people can kind of understand those things um, for one, because for a particular gender, that's always been kind of allowed. And for, you know, another gender, it hasn't been. Um, but people are kind of like coming to terms with what it means to have same-sex relationships. And that, that conversation is a little more easily digested. Whereas people aren't understanding the, the biology versus social aspect of uh, being trans. And so um, I think that's, that's a longer road and th there needs to be conversations uh, around that so that, um, people know how to respond and, and show up um, to advocate for trans persons, so. Yeah, thank you for uh, identifying that as well. I think even for me, I have a list of like, of folks like non-religious folks, anybody, I was in a nutshell for me, anybody who is on the negative end of an ism or obia. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> 
oh, but at the negative end of a, I, that last part was made up, but anyway, negative end of an ism, right? So like sexism, racism, all those things. So, um, you know, our non-religious folks, you know, will to me need allies in some spaces. Um, fuller bodied folks need allies. Of course, the LGBTQIA plus community needs allies. The younger generation right now definitely needs allies. Um, and one thing I want folks to think about, our audience to think about, especially is, you know, how are we being allies to other folks with, um, you know, just different identities than us, right? And what ways are we not allowing our curiosities to get in the way of someone's comfortability? That's, that's the first step um, for me. In what ways are we, you know, are we doing those things? So, um, yeah, Dee, did you want to answer that? I, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here thinking if someone would have asked me that question like a year or two, maybe even three years ago, I, I think my answer would have been based solely in, in, um, in race as far as what races need, need or, or, or um, ethnic identities need allyship, but as time has gone past and different things have been highlighted um, and, and various things have occurred in the world, uh, my eyes have definitely been open to the, the plethora of, of communities and identities that indeed do need allies. Um, and I think, Erica, you mentioned that some people get forgotten. And, and so uh, on a different end of that or side of that coin, for me, it was like, people and, and identities I wasn't even thinking of um, who could be in our in need of, of allyship. Um, but also, I mean, it, it, in general, a bit of everybody, um, more so those who aren't um, currently in, in power. Uh, but going back to the, the definition of allyship from Nicole, um, the, the, I love how you mentioned, Brittany, that a person of privilege that that isn't specified as who has the privilege because uh, Kareem, as you said, power is in a constant state of flux. Um, and also, at least in, in terms of social media, sometimes it feels like whoever the spotlight is on um, kind of gets not 100% of, of the backing of, oh, okay, everyone pivot and pay attention to this group of people. It mm -hmm. feels like people are starting to be able to grasp that <laughs> more than one community or identity at a time needs empowerment, needs allyship. Um, so I think that answered the question in a usual Disa jumbly sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they tune in for, girl. That's what they tune in okay. for. <laughs> Um, no, but I love that. I think that's a really good segue into the next question of, you know, who are our allies, right? Who shows up and how are they showing up? Um, so I have a few points here of like, um, one of like friends versus allies, right? And, and the thing that comes to mind when I put that, when I wrote that down was, you know, the folks who want to say like, oh, my brother's gay, so I can't hate gay people or oh my friend is black so you know I can't be racist um <laughs> right so the people who um Mendisa made a face sorry for those who are listening Mendisa made a, a face mimicking the bullshit I just said 
that was I said I anything. couldn't possibly yeah I can't, I can't yeah. be racist here because my best friend's black his name's Jerome <laughs> anyways however um, <laughs> um but I think ally the word ally is a trend right now right people are so quick to say oh I'm an ally and I've had folks do this to me especially at work oh I'm an ally I'm, a, I'm an ally after they said some fuck shit some fucked up shit, right? Oh, I can't, you know, I can't be this way or whatever. And I don't think it's cool. So, um, so, so again, the, one of the points was friends versus allies. Like how, are, I want our audience to think about how are we showing up as, as real friends and allies, right? And what ways are we not just throwing our friends out there? Like that we have these type of friends with these identities um, when it's convenient for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Versus real allyship in, in what ways am I speaking up when necessary for my friends? Or in what way am I, you know, possibly correcting someone who may be, you know, talking crazy about someone who identifies very similar to who my friends are? The overall question is who, who are our allies? Who do y'all see that's really that's, that's not even really showing up. We'll get to that later. But who are y'all seeing that like is showing up and calling themselves allies to any community? Um, well, one, I want to just say that I stopped using the term ally years ago because I started to notice that it was really easy for allies to pick up the script and then come five o'clock, go put it down and be sitting at the same places that we were just boycotting, um, that we've been calling out. Um, so I, I stopped using allies and started using and recognizing accomplices because accomplices, they don't have to be my friends, but they respect me and they know when to sit down and listen and fall back if some if somebody calls them out on their fuck shit, so uh, so you know I'm I I am very good at realizing who's actually down and who's um, picking up those Black Lives Matter signs just for the clout or for the safety because um, I think we know those types of folks. We've seen them. Um, after these protests, they boarded up their, their places and um, placard uh, Black Lives Matter signs just out of fear, um, knowing full well they call the cops on us as soon as their doors were opened. So um, I've been pretty good at recognizing who is really down for the cause. And, um, and really that just is all a matter of who's really ready to listen who really puts themselves out there when there aren't cameras around when it's no who's not you know blasting it up on facebook um their charity work their charity efforts dropping names um and you know i i recognize especially for safety especially within the black community when we have to kind of prop ourselves up in order to receive um the same way that white people can just, you know, hey, here I am, give me money and, and they'll receive. So I understand, you know, a certain safety and need to play a game. But um, when it comes to white folks, when it comes to non-black folks that are in the movement, 
Um, it's all about how you move and, and, and what you do. I listen to a lot of what you say and what you don't say, um, me personally. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I, I separate that from, from, cause I have friends that aren't allies either. And that's, again, that's a whole nother story. I got a best friend and just for, just for years that we've known each other, I'd, you know, any other time I'd punch her straight in her face, but, um, um, I love her to death playfully, but, um, yeah, so there, there's, for me, there's friends, allies, and accomplices, and, and, and if I can recognize that you're an accomplice by the work you do, by how you say, by the things you don't say, then, then, you know, I'll fuck with you for, for life, really. Yeah, thank you. Thank you definitely for bringing that up, because I think that's a accomplice, is a is a term that isn't as popular because it actually means that folks are putting in real work, right? They're not just performing and it's, they're not just throwing that word out there. It means that they're actually, like you said, showing up to communities, getting out of the way when they know they need to get out of the way, listening and really checking their intentions, you know, and understanding what their role is. So thank you for calling that out because I'll be honest, my experience here in San Diego since June of last year with folks who are saying Black Lives Matter has been pretty negative um, because, you know, we can say we're chanting Black Lives Matter. However, you are silencing Black voices and you're putting more Black bodies in danger because you're allowing your white rage or white passing rage to be at the forefront. And that's not okay. Um, that's never okay. That's that. Yeah. It's just not okay. It's not a way of the accomplice, right? Um, so, uh, Erica, I'd love to hear from you uh, and what your answer to that question is. So, who do you see showing up um, and being an ally or an accomplice? I'm like really excited to share space with all y'all. So I'm, I'm trying, as y'all are talking, I'm like, I want to say, stay in my lane. So I'm going to stay in this lane of like a work kind of space for me um, and share it from that perspective. I really like what you shared, Adrian, uh, about listeners. Um, so one, one, one thing I want to say from like a nerd and history space, first, words get coined and true authenticity and, and joy and hope and then transform into something different over time. So um, when, when everyone was pushing, you know, diversity and now, now everyone's like, hey, but, but, but inclusion, not diversity. We don't just need the numbers, we need inclusion. And so like, there's this movement as we learn more. And, and there's something about that that's also beautiful to me in terms of journey. When we know better, we do better. And so we, we recoin things. So I want to share that from my space because I too am struggling with even allyship because I've, I've been, um, well, where, where's the other stickers? Wait, wait, wait. Where's, the, where's the other programs that, that teach you not to touch my hair um, and, and how to call my name and how to pronounce my name? and how to support me in these spaces. And so that's kind of my plight, especially on in education and college campuses. Um, it's a very, very, um, when, when some people say allyship, it's like, well, I went to the allyship program. I'm an ally. I have my sticker for my door. And typically what they're talking about is that they went through some type of safe program um, through the LGBTQIA Center, 
or equity center on campus or diversity center on campus. And so this is the one area that they are saying that they're an ally in. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Let me be very 100% clear. I'm, I'm a supporter, like I, I support it. I just think that there's a series of then programs that then need to build upon what that means. Um, so I really like what you shared, Adrian, about listeners. For me, an ally, an accomplice really, is someone who is listening to the people that you were talking. There's too many spaces, especially on a college campus that we are getting into student, staff, faculty that are not informed about the people they are advocating about. And this includes brown folk uh, because, you know, we're like, but they one of ours and, and we had to, and, and I get it because the numbers are low. And But do we know what such and such did? <laughs> before we, before I march, can I know, can I ask some questions of, and get, gain some information? Um, so I think like that, I think what will be interesting in this conversation to talk about what's expected in allies. Like what, what do we let them do? What, what, what do we want them to do? Like, so listeners, like, are you listening to the people that you're saying that you're advocating for? One, for me as a professional um, who is often and sometimes the darkest, which ain't saying much, the darkest and the youngest in a space. Um, how do you show up and listen to me and then support me so that I don't have to fight and explain um, let me give you all a, a quick, quick story. When I first started the job, I have a standing meeting like every Tuesday, right? And every Tuesday they would be like, oh my God, it smells so tropical. It's so coconutty in here. Tuesday just happened to be hair wash day, okay? For this curly girl right here, we use a lot of coconut product. <laughs> and, you know, it's the, the meeting at 8.30 in the morning. And so I was really self-conscious about it. Like I felt like I was the woman in the room with too much perfume on in the elevator, but nobody knew how to tell me. So that what they were saying was, it smells really tropical in here. What is that? Oh, it's so, it's, it's so nice. And I'm like, they're talking about me next to me. He like, am I supposed to raise my hand? Am I supposed to say it's me? How am I supposed to navigate this in this business meeting I got self-conscious. I was like, not washing hair on hair day. Then I was like, no, you gotta be you. Like you deserve it. Like wash hair on hair day. And like, it's like all of these things. For me, it was the person when I finally said, it's me who said, I understand. Who said, I hear you. What do you need from us? How, how, how do we help you feel more comfortable in, in this space? That mattered to me because I didn't really know how to navigate that situation. I knew what I wanted to say as, as Erica. I didn't know how to navigate it as the professional in the space, um, forced to go to this meeting <laughs> every week. Um, so it's, it's for me, it's someone who listens, who observes and sees and doesn't require somebody to come to you begging and pleading for help. Um, it's also somebody who's willing to support you and not that I'm praying for you, not that I know you sick, but let me know if you need some. Those are my the least favorite people who say that they'll help you. It's like, you know I'm sick, give me some Kleenex. <laughs> like, like what? <laughs> 
come with the soup. Everyone who's sick needs the soup. Just bring it. I will eat it eventually, right? Bring the Gatorade. Um, so what does your support actually look like? And do you make me beg for it? Um, and I don't think we talk a lot about that. And for me, when I say beg for it, um, I think it's okay to offer a support and then ask somebody like, I, I can offer these things. What additionally can I do to help you? Um, because when you ask someone who's going through something traumatic or is in crisis or is nervous or anxious and you ask them, uh, what do you need? How many of us actually know what we need? But if you give somebody a menu, we can tell you what we don't want. So somebody's like, do you want a hug? No, nah, I just told you the girl said I'm tropical. I don't need a hug. I need a plan. Like, I don't, I don't want a hug. You know what I mean? But it will help the person like frame what they need. So I, I would just add to what Adrian said, a, a listener, but somebody who's going to show up with support in action, not just in word um, and not make me beg for it. Well, thank you for that, though. That's, I mean, that's a real question. That's uh, especially, you know, the question of um, how are you really showing up? How are you listening, right? Those questions that you all posed, um, which is, which is, again, um, kind of aids my, my saying of like, you know, just check your intentions before you show up, um, because that's going to help us listen better, um, and show up in spaces better. Uh, Karima, you got an answer for us? Yeah, the the term ally is really, really murky. Um, and as we kind of like grasp at trying to define what it is, it, it becomes even more apparent. I remember about mm, maybe five, six-ish years ago now, um, a, a white male friend of mine who has been very close to black communities uh, since his teenage years. You know, he was kind of like the cool white dude and, you know, he was Jewish. And so he kind of had like this joke, like, you know, I'm, I'm Hebrew, like kind of thing like that, you know, he was super cool. Um, and I am confident that he will be an accomplice um, for, for black people. Let's just start there. Let's not talk about like all different groups I just the the conversation that we had was about black people and where and where he fit in with those communities and he might have been ahead of his time when he said this he said I don't call myself an ally um because the way it's defined I apparently don't fit into whatever that is and at the time um you know you take like 2015 2016 ish um there was some heavier conversations about, you know, the LGBTQ community and things like that. And again, it was one of those steep learning curves at that time. What, what, what a difference even five years can make, but five years ago, like there was a steep learning curve then. And <clears throat> there was some heated conversations around like what, what this means for our community, especially for black men and stuff like that. And so what I think what he was saying was, I'm not an ally because according to y'all <laughs> and y'all was just I guess this kind of like uh, disembodied um, personification of you know um, righteous rude um, social justice warriors or whatever he said according to y'all like in order to be an ally I have to placate you at every single level 
And I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep the conversations honest about what I rock with, what I don't rock with, what I understand, what I don't understand, what my values are, you know what I'm saying? And in his mind, being an ally mean that you have to coddle people. And I'm like, you know what? I fuck with that. Like, I get, I get why, I get why you're hesitant on identifying yourself as an ally because the moment you say you are, but you step outside these bounds, you'll get crucified for it. So he said, I'm going to do this. Y'all can do that. Holler at me when you need me for whatever, but like, I'm, I'm not going to get into the label thing. Cause I know I'm going to lose. And I, I would agree. Like at the time I, I was like, well, um, I respect that. It left me to kind of wonder like where, where his grievance was. Cause it felt like a kind of preemptive thing, but like, as time has transpired, I'm like, God damn it. That guy, like, I, like, I get it. Like, I feel like, I kind of feel like I'm where, where he was then, you know what I mean? Um, it, it's my, my eyes have kind of opened up to the manipulation of the term allyship and it, even with, and it causes us to cannibalize one another and fight and have this kind of infighting. And, um, I'm really over that shit. So, um, we, it's almost like, you know, we need to kind of go back to the drawing board on what that, on what allyship really means. Um, for me, if, if I had to like, you know, go least common denominator on what an ally is, I would say bare minimum is someone who is willing to hold space. Um, listen, be curious, participate in conversations. And I know we've done all the talking. I know we've allowed people to ask all the questions. I know, I know, I know. But sometimes that really is all people are equipped to do is just listen and ask questions. It may not feel active enough for some people. It may not feel engaging enough. It may not feel very much like being an accomplice. But one thing that I've, I've you know, kind of learned is that I don't want you to do shit that you are not equipped to do. Do not act like you about that life. I'm the fuck not going to be acting like I'm about that. Like there are some things that I'm willing to risk and some things I'm not. I don't want you to act like you're really, you're ready to risk your job <laughs> or whatever it is. Like, don't do it. Like, don't do it. Cause you're not going to look back at me later and be like, well, I did this because of you. Like, uh-uh. you have to have the wholehearted conviction to be an accomplice. And if you ain't there, you ain't there. So there is levels to participating in, in this social justice arena. And and most people, most people aren't willing to risk it all. Most people aren't willing to risk it all, period. That's real. And thank you. Thank you for calling that out. And even giving that example um, of the Hebrew. <laughs> that was actually pretty funny. I folks with that. Um, yeah. And one thing I would even add to that too, is like, you know, when we show up to certain spaces, we really have to like sit back and be mindful of what, what they're doing in those spaces. Because um, one thing I've learned is not, not every space is there to educate everybody or educate new folks sometimes. Like, you know, we're having one conversation and we're putting down demands and, you know, you're in a space of really, of truly active people. That may not be the space to sit and ask, questions like who's Frederick Douglass what like you know what I'm saying that's not the space to do that yeah and for those who don't see everybody making faces but that's a real <laughs> that has really happened right so like we have to be mindful of 
not just our intentions, but the spaces that we show up to, um, you know, to use our, our gifts or our privileges, you know, and, and to do what we, um, what we uh, expect to do in ways of support. So um, I, I don't think that's, I, that's also a conversation I don't have too often with folks, but it's something I see all the time um, of folks just showing up and, you know, just asking questions that really take away from the productivity of the space, right? It takes away from the goal because we have to stop and educate um, that, that, you know, that just, it's unproductive. Uh, Erica, you got a question, my friend? I really like what Karima shared, and I wanted to ask if there was space and, and capacity and time to talk a little bit about the policing of allyship um, and, and maybe why I might be struggling. I'm not going to name that for other people to define it, because I agree. I think people are running. People don't want to. How can you advocate and be afraid of the label of being an advocate if you know that someone is out there just to simply police everything that you're going to say? Like you can't, how do you take a stand and then be human knowing that someone else is going to come over here and say, she says she's vegan, but I seen her at Baskin Robbins the other day. Like, like you just, like, you know, it's like, it's interesting. No, I'm for real. Like it's, 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 it's the thing. And Brittany knows this because we're friends that keeps me quiet in space. And so the policing of allyships is makes me nervous. Um, social justice warriors, like warrior, like that, gives me pause. Um, and I wanted to muddy it up even further by saying, like, where are people advocating? Because just because you don't see me at the march doesn't mean I wasn't sitting in the meeting with cabinet members doesn't mean we didn't secure the funding. So some of us are playing different roles in there. There is there room for all of us, I guess is what I'm trying to post. So. Yeah, so I can answer that for you too. So there's definitely room for everyone. So active allyship and activism doesn't look just one way, you know, like there's you, you're going to have folks who show up in spaces where, you know, they're not, they may not be risking their lives and not on the front line, um, but you have, you know, true accomplices who are lobbying for policies um, like here in San Diego, AB 392 uh, to pass that is uh, supposed to hold officers accountable uh, for using excessive force, right? Um, and deadly force, lethal force. Um, so you're going to have your, your, activists and your advocates and your accomplices that show up in space like that. So, so activism can look many different ways. Um, and we've seen that like digitally as well, right? In social media, you have true organizers, community organizers, um, regionally, nationally, that are really doing real work and ensuring that folks are informed, ensuring that folks can show up. You know, if your intention is to show up to tell somebody how not to show up, that is unproductive. At the end of the day, there is a goal. At the end of the day, we have demands. At the end of the day, we wanna be safe. So how someone shows up, because since activism looks many different ways, so how someone shows up is not 
in an unharmful way, let me be specific, how someone shows up in an unharmful way to others is not, should not be policed. We should not be focused on that. We have goals. We got things we're trying to do. So I'm not sure if that answers your question or not, um, but uh, the depth of all of that is we really have to ensure that we check our intentions. And if we are showing up, whether we are in positions of privilege or not, but around activism, when we're showing up to support our community, to, to voice our, our demands as a community, then I agree that policing needs, the policing needs to stop. But that will happen when we understand that it looks many different ways. Does that make sense? Adrienne, help me out, help me out. Yeah, no, definitely. Cause I, I think policing, that's a tool of white supremacy. So I, again, like go, getting rid of the definition of allyship. Allyship is definitely all about the policing. You're not doing it this way. You're not doing it that way. For me, there is a difference in just the, uh, having an accomplice by my side and having um, an ally by my side because the realness of an accomplice is that they're able to receive in information. They're able to receive the call in. And there's a total difference from being called in the out of care and out of love and out of restoration and out of transformation than there is on, hey, do it this way. And it's, and it's totally different than, you know, you know, I noticed that, you know, you're telling this person how, how that they, how they're supposed to march and how they're supposed to be an activist. And, and that's not what you're supposed to do. And let me tell you how, let me, let me break it down for you that that's, there's a difference in trying to, trying to perform the, that, that allyship, the words like, Hey, look at me, I I'm keeping everybody in line versus hey, let me pull you to the side so I don't embarrass you because you might not have known and this might be your first rodeo or whatever, but let me show you the right way because you learn from the white supremacist tool of doing, the, doing it the wrong way and we ain't here to do that. So for me, as somebody who's very open and, 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 and very upfront, um, uh, probably to, to a fault sometimes, I know that when I call somebody out, when I call somebody in rather, um, it's with the intention that you do better, that you do it. You know, you got that one, this, I, I operate on a one strike rule. Here you go, that's your first warning. And now you, you need to go sit down if you didn't get it the first time. Maybe you need to figure out why it is that you're on the outskirts feeling, feeling like, like everybody is another and you're over here. Or if you can really receive that, 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 that call in and humble yourself and say, oh, okay, let me do this right by them and, and, and for myself too. Um, so I, for, yeah, what you said, Erica, was just, um, I, there, it is, it's hard. It's very hard because a lot of those folks, you, it, it irks you and it's like, and it makes you feel self-conscious, but um, there, again, there's a huge difference from, being an ally and an accomplice. And I think the accomplice will take the, the call in and, and the ally will just become defensive. I wanna, I wanna chime in and first of all, say that I love the, instead of calling someone out, calling someone in, um, because that to me says that 
you're you're still choosing to lead with love and that whether that person you recognize that person as an ally or accomplice or somewhere in between or somewhere just not even within those words that you have have recognized their intentions their good intentions that they are in the space to to support and or learn and educate themselves or do something in support of the the identity or or, or community or group that they're um, present for and that there's still even if they might not be um, um, uh, supporting in a way that's that's correct uh, or at the time or in line with with what's supposed to be happening um, that there's still a way to to bridge um, um, their their missteps um, and kind of get them back in line with people while still allowing them to show up how they will authentically and genuinely show up so thank you thank y'all for that um because that is a big conversation to have is like again what does allyship or accomplices what does that look like right like how are people really showing up um uh and you know who's being truly active and who's just being performative and calling themselves uh, whatever they want to call themselves when it's convenient for them. Um, so the next question, um, knowing that past injustices and discriminations are perpetuated um, and don't help truly in bridging the, the gap within current generations. So knowing that within other marginalized communities or within other communities that we have folks who, um, you know, still perpetuate like white supremacy. We know that white supremacy, their policies, all that shit does not have to only happen through white folks or white bodies. We know that there are um, several other folks who identify with other cultures who are anti-Black. And I'll even say we have several Black folks who are anti-Black. I don't like to ever say her name, but Candace Owens will always be a great example of just that, right? Mm -hmm. so, so knowing that, you know, past injustices, if we think about, you know, a lot of, of um, harm and trauma that's been done during like Jim Crow laws and a lot of things that continue to separate our communities despite them celebrating uh, uh, integration, which is really, diversity is a new word for integration, but that's, sorry, I'm about to start rambling on that. But um, what struggles do you all have with solidarity um, or having sympathy for other marginalized communities? Karima, you mentioned earlier the Stop Asian Hate uh, uh, theme that's happening right now. I'll call it a theme at the moment, which I'll, I'll tell you when I first saw that, they were actually talking about Black folks. They were talking about Black folks who uh, were essentially defending themselves against anti-Black Asians. Asians, yeah. And, you know, and discrimination against Black folks and they, you know, uh, mm -hmm. were defending themselves. But um, so that's just an example of that. So again, what struggles do you guys have with solidarity um, or having sympathy for other marginalized communities? Yeah, so I, I have um, trouble kind of getting past some things that I've heard like, you know, as early as in college when I went to school with a wide variety 
of uh, different ethnic backgrounds and nationalities. Um, and some of those people, like they were, they were still lingering in my friends list from college during like the, um, the xenophobic um, events earlier on last year. And um, the petty side of me was like, that's what the fuck you get for talking that bullshit like 15 years ago. Like, <laughs> like and I was just like, ah, but I don't want to be that person. <laughs> but, um, but I actually did unfriend that person um, because they were just a sore reminder of some offensive things that they said in their youth, albeit we've all said really fucked up things when we were younger and didn't know any better. Um, but I noticed how also very silent they were when there was civil unrest pertaining to the black community. And so when they made their post about like xenophobia for Asian stuff like that, I'm thinking like, you got a lot of fucking nerve. And I, I, I gave them the energy that they, I feel like that they gave, at least from what I could see. I don't know if they had other black friends that they engaged with, but from my end, um, I heard nothing. And so I said nothing. Um, but last week I actually joined a, a Zoom call um, that was hosted by two, two nondescript people. I don't, I don't know who they are, but it was on Meetup. And it was talking about um, you know, xenophobia and the sexualization of Asian women and the emasculation of Black men. When I tell you this stuff sounded so parallel to the issues that Black people go through, I was like, oh my goodness. So I'm like, one of two things are true. Um, we really are pawns in white supremacy and we have these parallels because this is how we've been played against each other. We have the exact same issues. It just doesn't appear that way. Or they like stole our fucking script. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's what, like which one of those are it? Like, did y'all like steal the playbook and then made a meeting out this shit? Like, I don't, I don't know. I say um, both can be true. I say and both, both can, can be true. And, and both can be true. Um, I'm the, the, I guess the humane side of me is tending towards um, the former and that, yeah, at the end of the day, we really are both pawns in the, the grand scheme of white supremacy. And and that's why our um, our plight looks very similar in a lot of ways. And the same could be say, said for, you know, Blacks compared to Hispanic communities or Latinx communities. Um, and so the, the question that I have to sit with is, is my knowledge of that at this point in time strong enough to overcome my past grievances? I don't know if I have the answer for that, but I said I can start, I can make, I can take the first step today by just being the fly on the wall. And it wasn't, outsiders couldn't participate anyway. It was more like you listen in, they had a panel, stuff like that. So it was, it was a closed panel. Um, but I said, I'll, I'll take the first step today by just listening to the stories because I can't say that I have enough um, Asian communities around me, friends, acquaintances, or otherwise where I can learn these things from. Um, so without that, that means I'm left to my own uh, preconceived notion about the community, and that's not sufficient either. You know what I mean? So um, I, I can be mature in that um, I have more questions to ask, and that's how I, as a black person, can be a better a, a better ally. You know, whatever we, you know, the premise was: can black people be um, um, good, are are black people good allies, um, or black are black people allies? Period. If, if we're still going to hang on to the word ally, that's my way of taking the first step towards being a better ally is 
recognizing what I don't know about said communities because I'm not in proximity of them and allowing that to rise above, um, you know, what, what grieved me in the past because the ultimate goal is to defeat white supremacy. I think that's in the vein of your question. I hope that answers the question, but that's, that's just kind of what I've been recognizing. It's, it's yeah. a challenge. I think um, people, you know, quite a bit younger than me are going to have an easier go at it. Um, and, and that's why we, we love, we, we are millennials, but we'll be 80 year old millennials one day. Millennials is always synonymous with youth, but we're going to be old as shit like one day and still be millennials. So it's not about our generation. It's, it's really about the youth. The youth are, are a lot more, they are defiant, um, but they are very pliable. And, and then there's just some shit that they won't have to go through because we went through it just like we want to go through some shit because our Gen X and boomers went through it. Um, so they, I, I look to them and that I, I respect them leading the charge on this because they don't have some of the baggage that I would have. And that's, that's important. So um, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be a long road, but I, I think we'll, we can, we can get past some of this. Yeah. Thank you for that. And it, and it, thank you for also clarifying and identifying that you are in your like first steps, right? Um, and first stages, you're asking yourself certain questions. Um, you're, you're showing up to listen. Um, you're checking your intentions. So, so you can understand, um, you know, how you can or cannot move forward. Um, so thank you for that. That is a, I think that's a strong perspective. And I think a lot of folks can, can definitely relate to that. Um, Adrian, you have, you got a, a answer for us on that. What struggles do you have with, with solidarity or having sympathy for other marginalized communities? Other marginalized communities? Uh, I think for me personally, I really struggle with any marginalized white community. Um, <clears throat> recently, I started doing more disability advocacy and autism acceptance um, and just being out about my own mental illness and my own learning disabilities, my, uh, my autism. And so often in the autistic world or just in media representation, we're only talking about, you only see white autistics represented. Um, and I think that has been a huge struggle for black and brown youth who are neurodivergent um, because we are either, either subjected to medical racism or, um, um, misdiagnosis uh, and, and just push through systems and, and, and pushed along. Um, so when I speak out about uh, being more inclusive of those who don't move and talk and walk like you, then, then I'm always um, being told to sit down and quiet, quiet for, for, and make room for white autistics. So, or, this disabled person, this this person that whatever, um, and the very symptoms that are not symptoms, but very behaviors that are excused on white folks, um, then we're they're demonized on black and brown bodies. So, I will sooner put a black able-bodied person 
over the feelings of a white disabled person. And I know how fucked up that sounds, um, but it's because of they still have a certain access to privilege and to services and to, to being coddled by a whole community that that black person might not. So I will, although I have a lot of sympathy for um, white folks with disabilities when it comes to their feelings over, um, over say a black person's rage, I have to sit. I have to sit down and listen to why that black person is feeling the way that they do, or why they lash out the, the way the way that they lash out. Um, and that's me personally because I've seen both sides. I recognize both sides, so I know how hard it is as a disabled person trying to receive service, trying to be heard, and I know how hard it is as a black person trying to be heard and trying to be comforted. So. I have a lot of sympathy, but a lot of struggles, a lot of internal struggles towards extending a, a quite a bit of myself towards oppressors of any of, of, of any kind when when they happen to be white. So it also sounds to me, Adrian, that um, in in visualizing this, if you know you're at a wall and people are trying to, I shouldn't use a wall metaphor. This is bad, <laughs> but I, I, or, or what's something you climb on? I don't know, stairs, <laughs> something where you have to help people up. In my mind, I imagine that you see that there are two or more people who need to be helped up, but you might reach whether instinctively or consciously for the person who, who is requiring a bigger step to, to come up and climb the stairs or whatever non-wall object. Yeah, sort of. It's it's uh, more like I'm a hold, I'm gonna hold the hand of that black person that, that needs that care more than, cause you got a whole huge community. You got anti-black black folks that will still come and, and, uh, and, and cater to that white person before they they uh, come and help that that black person or whatever because they have already demonized that black person's rage and whatever and subconsciously have taken it on. So I'll hold their hand. I'll hold that that person's hand before I'll you know I'll say hey wait you know I understand that you're struggling on a certain way and I understand your struggles. However, someone else will be there. Uh, to come and get you. Someone else will be there to be behind you and pushing you along or holding you up or 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 lifting you up and walking you so you don't have to use use your own whatever. But that person, that black person that is lashing out, that is um angry, that that or or sad or 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 isn't moving the way that society is telling them to move. Does, got there for a reason because they they lack that care and that support and someone to just hold their hand and say hey you know I'm going to be patient with you and I'm going to sit back and learn and listen and 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 try to relate to you on a different way than um, just demonizing you right off the back and and let's face it they're they're demonizing it because it's coming from a black voice so you know um, I will always have my people no matter what, uh, over the care of white folk. 
Um, Erica, what is, what, what, what are your struggles? What are your, I wouldn't call them grievances, but what are your struggles with the solidarity for others? First and foremost, as I'm thinking about my answer and listening to everyone share, um, I just want to say like me as a person and professional, like I'm never going to stand for fuck shit or hate. Like, I'm just not like, you're not going to do no, nothing crazy in front of me. And like, I'm not going to scream out. Like, that's just like, that hurts my soul in a way. Um, Adrian, I know you have to go let the people know where they can find you, um, and how they connect with you. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for having me again. Um, so you can connect with me through Instagram. You can find my org, the Transistence Network on Instagram at the Transistence Network. That's trans resistance through radical existence. Um, and you can find me personally at Fantastic Planet. That's fantastic with a PH, Planet. And um, I think that should have all of my contact information. If not, you can DM me with any questions, concern, um, possibility, and wanting to take me out. That's cool. I'm single. Yes, we like that. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to uh, hype myself up. But yeah, I do have to go. So thank you yeah. all. I appreciate it. And thank you. Uh, uh, really um, enjoyed. I wish I could stay on and continue this uh, an amazing conversation, but next time, definitely have yeah. me back. We are so grateful for the strong and powerful conversation. We encourage being analytical and critical of all information that is, is brought your way, um, especially before you show up to um, you know, to maybe some questionable spaces, right? To new spaces that you haven't been in before. Um, we're excited to hear what our audience has to say. So if you guys have any questions uh, and you're on our YouTube, drop your questions in the comment, join this conversation. Let us know what your perspectives are. Let us know what your struggles are as well. And um, for anybody who's listening uh, directly on the podcast, hit us up on Instagram. You guys will know where to find us. Um, we want to continue this conversation. Um, Erica and Karima, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Karima, let us know. We'll start with you. Let the folks know where they can find you, where they can connect with you. You can find me on Facebook at Yoga Yourself. You can find me on IG at yoga underscore yo underscore self. And you can also find um, my website, um, yogayourselfnow.com. Queen Erica. So you can find me at morecoaching.com, M-O-O-R-E-R, more of the coaching, um, to have more of these types of conversations and access to skill building and empowerment and all of the things. So thank you for having me. Thank y'all so much for being here. Um, I certainly appreciate it so much. And for our uh, viewers, if y'all love this conversation and you, of course, want to stay connected for more conversations like this, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And then if you like are completely amazed by all the beautiful things that we have to say here, <laughs> be sure to share this with your friends and family. And we'll see y'all next time. Mandisa. Yo. <laughs> Wasn't I love you. Yes, indeed. I have so many more questions and things to think about. So thank you, thank you, thank you all for joining us and having this conversation and digging in and asking the questions. We hope you all enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. 
We started off by asking if Black folks are good allies, yet we found ourselves diving deeper into how people show up for us. On that note, stay connected with us and look out for part two of this discussion.